good morning. I'm just going to piggyback off that video for just a second. So we've got this week and next week. Next week, Bill will be talking uh, to wrap up the series we're in right now. And he'll be talking about being blessed, and he'll be talking about missional eating. You'll enjoy that. Um, and then we're going to go into Palm Sunday. And then Easter Sunday, Ryan and I will be, will be kind of sharing the message about victory. The victory we have because of Jesus, both now and in the future. So we want to invite you, as the video said, invite you and invite anyone uh, that you know who may be asking the questions. Or maybe they're not, and they should be. So we, we uh, encourage you to do that. Uh, would you turn with me, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to remind you that if you've got uh, the YouVersion app on your phone, if you click on it, the three lines in the corner, boom, uh, events comes up. If you click on events, the very first one that will pop up is Spring Lake Church downtown. The Bible verse is there. Uh, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians 5, and we're also going to be looking at Luke 18. So if you'll turn to Luke 18 and just drop your bulletin or your program in there, uh, because we're going to get to that a little later in the message. 2 Corinthians 5 we'll, we'll get to in just a moment. But so 2 Corinthians 5, Luke 18. Now, personally, just a little insight, I am a super plain-spoken, straightforward, very practical guy. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, not the sharpest tool, tool in the pit. See? Not the sharpest tool in the shed, not the brightest bulb in the pack. If you're speaking to me, speak plainly. Don't drop hints. I'm awful with hints. Ask my wife. I don't pick it up. You need to tell me what you mean and what you mean to say. And if you see like nothing going on and I'm just nodding, you may have to use an illustration. I'm a visual learner. I have to picture things. That's when I really get it. And uh, so I don't do well with hints. Anybody else not a hint person? You just need clear black and white? Okay, good. A lot of people in the room, a lot of wives are throwing elbows right now. It is, it's a lot easier when it's clear. Jesus understood this. Jesus used to tell two accounts when he was trying to make a point. First, he would tell parables, or he would use an illustration. Now, when he used a parable, it was different. His parables, a lot of times, confused people. He wanted them to think deep. He wanted them to really lean into the Holy Spirit to make it clear what he was trying to say. When he would use an illustration, he wanted people to get the simple message he was trying to get across. He would say things like, consider the lilies. How many of you have ever seen a flower? Okay, most of us. Some of you haven't. He would say things like, uh, consider the sparrows or the sparrows do... We all know birds. They're seen all over the world. He used the sun or the moon as an illustration. In Luke 13, he uses the illustration of a current event. He says there's this tower in the city that fell and it killed some people. It's no different than our, our Google wake-up that gives us, the, uh, gives us the news of the day. Jesus loved making sure the message of God was clear as well. He used everyday illustrations to get the truth across. Now today, I want to talk to you about and show you some simple illustrations that can help you share with people the truth of the good news of Jesus and the cross. Why is this so important? Why is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus so important? Now, as we talk about this in the room, if you're joining us online later this week, or if you're in the lobby, we're glad you're here. Uh, but there's three types of people who are listening to this this morning. 
The first type of person is those who want to be more prepared. You feel, feel like you tell the story of Jesus, you tell people your story, and they just look at you like, that's nice. And you're like, I don't know what to do next. That's part of what this is going to be. You, you don't know what the next question is. You, you, you want to join our camp? You, know, you want to you get saved? They don't, you know, what does that even mean? Do you, do you want to become a, a Christian? Well, what does that look like? Why is that important? If you find yourself trying to make that clearer, I think today is going to help you. For some of you in the room, you're asking that question. Why is this even important? Why does this matter to me? I mean, can I figure out my own way there? Can I create my own path? Isn't this like a buffet? I can pick and choose what I want to put together the plate that I like, that gives me a, a good picture and an account with God that I'm comfortable with. Today, hopefully, this will give you some clarity as to why we believe so strongly what we believe about the importance of Jesus. And then there's a third group that's going to be listening today. And that's those of you in the room who are going to hear what I say, and the minute I hit the first illustration, you're going to go, I know this already. You're going to be out. And I want to say to you, if you know, if you know the last five people in this month that you've shared Jesus with, or the next five that you've got in mind that you're targeting and praying for, that God will change your life, awesome. You could go get a cookie early. But for every one of us, if we truly believe the message of Jesus, there should be an emergency that should be seated in the heart of every Christian. If we truly believe the message of Jesus, then there's an emergency that should be seated in the heart of every Christian. If we believe the death, burial, and resurrection, if we believe it provides us with eternal life instead of eternal separation, eternally in the presence of God instead of eternally in a tormented hell, if we truly believe this for our sons and daughters, our moms and dads, our neighbors, friends, our co-workers, then there should be an emergency, there should be an importance on this message for every one of us. If you're looking for a message on tapping into the psyche of the disciples or hearing the, the conversation in the barracks of the angels as they talk about the cosmos, wrong message. Adam will talk about that in the future. But if you're looking for a way to either present clearly or to understand clearly the importance of Jesus and how to explain it, how to answer the question, then this message will connect with you. Now, some of you are asking, why is this important? I mean, I got up early today. I'm in church. I got dressed up. I even brushed my teeth. Thank you. But it's more than just being in a building. We have a responsibility. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 through 21. There's a word that's going to stand out as we read this, and we're going to define it at the end. But I want you to pay attention on the importance of being reconciled. It's a big word. So uh, chapter 5, verse 16, it says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us. To who? 
Let's try it again. To who? One more time. To who? To us. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. That's a great line to underline in your Bible or highlight it on the app. As though we, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, there's a word that keeps showing up in this passage, and that word is reconciled. The word reconciled, by definition, is to bring agreement and harmony, make compatible or consistent. Paul is writing here, that's our job. It's to bring agreement and harmony between people who are far from God and the God who loves them and came and died for them that they could have eternal life. He says that message of reconciliation, that responsibility of reconciliation, sharing that message is on us. The message comes through us. Another part of the definition says to win over with friendliness, cause to become amicable. They should see the love of God through us. That's our job as Jesus followers. This is, the most, this is most effective when we have conversations with people we know, with people we're close to, when we're a travel guide instead of a salesman. That may sound familiar from the last couple of weeks. In Romans 10, Paul writes again. He's like, look, how can people know unless someone will bring them the message? And how can someone bring the message unless they're sent out? He says, how beautiful are those feet of the people who will actually step out and bring this message of reconciliation to people. Now, before I give you the three illustrations, I want to show you the uh, high-tech tools you will need to do these illustrations. First is a piece of paper. How many of you own a piece of paper? Okay, about a third of you. If you don't have that, if you are out to lunch or having coffee, a napkin works fine. So a napkin and then something to write with, a pen, a pencil, an eyeliner, a piece of coal, I don't care. Anything that will scratch out an illustration on, this, on the paper or the napkin. All three of these are visible illustrations. The first one we're going to do is simply called the bridge. So you start. You with me so far? Okay, let me, I had to practice for hours. But we've got this gap. In the world and this is you're talking to people and they can't get the need for God and and I'm okay on my own and I can figure this out well here's the problem we've got us it's really good and we've got God and we've got unholy impure imperfect us I put myself very squarely in that camp and then we've got a holy a righteous and a pure judge and the problem is we've got this big gap in between us and we think, I'm not that bad. I can make that jump. I can clear that. And we say, you know what? I go out and I work hard and I have a job. And, and what happens? We usually end up loaded down with greed. It becomes about what we can make. Or we say, I'm not about money. And I'm so much better than people who are about money. Yep. And then we're trying to make that jump and we're full of pride. Or we say, you know, I'm, I'm about what I can get so I can share with other people. Then we're wrapped up in either a lust for stuff or a gluttony. And we think, I can appreciate it. And then we want. Or we say, I am so grateful God made sex. 
and I want to appreciate that. And then we realize we called it to be in marriage between a husband and wife, and we find ourselves in a failure. Our eyes get carried away with things that shouldn't be, and, and we just don't make this jump, and we can't because we're not perfect. Romans chapter 3 and verse 3. It says, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. I'm sure each of us, if we look for our perfect place and where we think we're perfect, we're going to fall short. We can't fill this gap. You can't, I can't. All fall short. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our shortcomings can only be filled by the cross. It's why Jesus was necessary. A perfect God had to have a perfect sacrifice to build the bridge for imperfect God. It's the only way the relationship can happen because we will never be up to this standard. Is that clear? Okay, good. If you have any questions on any of these, feel free to come up and ask afterwards. You will say, or you'll hear someone say, I'm really not that bad. The truth is we're really not that good. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through the cross, through Jesus. We have a need for Jesus because we can't do it. That brings us to the second illustration. This is where you get out a new napkin, by the way, if you want to get on those. A lot of people will go, I'm, I'm religious. I'm religious. I do, I do, I do. I, I, I give. I pray this much. I, whatever. You, they'll go into the do mode. And a lot of us say, religious. It's what I do. Almost every major religion in the world is what can you do for the God or the gods to try and make them happy. What can you do to earn your way up to that highest level. What can you do? How good can you be? You may be good. How do you get gooder? How do you do more? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, we try and do over and over and over again what the Bible tells us. It's not what we do. It's what God has done. It's about what's already done. I'm going to try and get it perfect. You won't. I'm going to please God with how good I can be. You won't. It's not about what you can do. It's about what God has already done. What God has done will change the way we view life. It will change what I do. Not because I'm trying to earn anything from him, because I'm grateful for what he's done. It's not out of our works, the Bible says. The Bible says our righteousness, our goody-goody stuff, is like filthy rags before God. It's pointless. Jesus has done what we could never do. He lived a perfect life, died on the cross to pay for our wrong stuff, our rebellion, what the Bible says, our sin. It's something we can't do. We never will. Has anyone ever bought you something that just sort of weighed you so silly? When I was in Florida, there was a, a gentleman in our church. He was retired, and his son made quite a bit of money. His son bought the dad an early 
edition, special edition Corvette. And Zed was like, I can't afford this. I can't take this. And I'm like, I can. I can't do, I, I, there's no way I could ever afford that. There's no way I could ever do enough to earn to pay for that car. And the son says, here's the key. There's nothing we can do. And just like Steve, that was the dad, Steve had to realize it's already been done. Title in hand, it's yours. It's what Christ has done for us. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you understand what it looks like to go to church every Sunday morning. Maybe you understand what it looks like to have an almost us versus them mentality because of what you do. Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 9, Jesus speaking. It says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told a parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Side note, tax collectors were loved then as much as they are now. You may want to go back. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, Democrats or Republicans, or even like this tax collector. I thank you that I'm better than them. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. Notice God doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, stop doing that. He doesn't say stop fasting, stop giving. But this stuff isn't what gets it done. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's one of the classic parables of Jesus. It's easy to see what he's saying here. It's not about what we can do. It's about what God has done for us. The best we can do is humble ourselves and realize our need for Jesus. One more illustration. And this one I call the moral ladder. I like to have fun with this one. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So you start with some sort of ladder, okay, and on this ladder, you start with, let's go with the best people who live. So let's put, I'm going to put Jesus right up at the top. Even many, if not most atheists will agree Jesus was around, good guy did a lot of good, taught a lot of good things. So we're going to put Jesus at the top of this moral ladder. Then we go to the bottom and you think, who's the worst person who ever lived? I almost never get an argument when I say Hitler. So we put Hitler, sorry, I'm not trying to be sexually exploited. We put Hitler down on the bottom. And you ask people, you go, how you feeling? Look at this chart, I'm good. <laughs> I'm definitely not near Hitler. I think I'm up here closer to Jesus. They're like, okay. Let's do a little moral, little moral ladder climbing. Mother Teresa, good lady? Yeah, did a lot of good. She, you know, how many people did she help? Would you put her on that moral ladder above you? Absolutely. Okay, so we're going to put Mother Teresa up here. MC. Good. Mother Teresa's here. All right, I'm probably like right below Mother Teresa. Okay, Billy Graham. Billy Graham, man, there's a, there's a great guy. Preached 
the love of Jesus around the world, went to communist Russia as a preacher, which was like unheard of, tore down the ropes and racial barriers throughout the South, was even kicked out of entire states and banned from employers. He just stood up for what was right. Okay, Billy Graham, above you or below you? Oh, he's above me. Okay, so we got Billy Graham. We'll go right below Mother Teresa just for time's sake and heart's sake. So we got Mother Teresa, we got Billy Graham, we got Jesus, still further than Hitler, but below, above, these things are above you. Yeah, okay. Still feeling pretty good? Sure. Here's the one that gets them every time. Your grandma. And I dare you to say your grandma was closer to Hitler than Jesus. Where's your grandma show up on this? Grandma was pretty special. Grandma. Anybody have special grandma in the room? Oh, yeah. You can give a big amen to Jesus on that one. So we got grandma. Grandma comes in. We'll even say she's below Mother Teresa and Billy Graham. We got grandma. Jesus. All right. Some of you are looking at this, and you're still in that asking question mode, and you're still hoping, man, I hope I break the 50% mark. And that's the question, because here's the next thing I usually ask. Where would you put me on this list? Better than you, worse than you, closer to Hitler, closer to Jesus. And they're like, you're not better than my grandma, so I'll put you below grandma. All right, that. And you're looking at this, and you're going, man, I'm kind of sliding down the scale. Where's the line? If it's a moral ladder, is it right? I hope it's right below me. If it's a moral ladder, I hope it's not right above me. But let's say it's right above me. Where does that put you? I was talking to someone one time, and they're like, my odds aren't looking too good. No, they're not. And, and then you have other people go, you know, I've just got my own route to Jesus. I'll find my own way there. I'll pick up my own. Th it doesn't work that way. If you're going to say there's a moral ladder, you can't bypass morality on your scale. What did it say again? 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. I am down here. But because of what Jesus did for me, in Jesus, I'm up here with Jesus. That should blow our minds. Think of who you are. You know you. I know me. You know where you would be on this moral scale. And yet, in God's eyes, because we are seen through what Jesus has done, we're up here. We need Jesus. There's no way around that. We can't be good enough. As Jeff said in the opening message, and even like that opening video spelled out, this isn't a gimmicky sales pitch. This isn't an important way to try and maneuver people. It's bigger than church. It's bigger than politics. It's bigger than anything you want to argue on social media. It's bigger than, well, who would I put at the top and who would I put at the bottom? Maybe you'd put a Bears player down there. I don't know. But we have to realize if we're trying to moralize it in, we won't make it. But if we realize what Jesus has done for us, we go to the top of the it's because of what Christ has done for us. Hopefully those three help give you a picture. If you have any questions, like I said, maybe for you, you've been wondering. Hopefully this will clarify for you as well. I want to close with a few reminders. First of all, never forget the Holy Spirit in the process. We can get slick. We can get this down. We can make a great presentation. But the Bible says it's the Holy Spirit that draws people to that. 
you may be feeling that pull, that's not guilt. That's the draw of the Holy Spirit. There's a parable in both Matthew, Mark, and Luke about this farmer who goes out and he sows seed. And it hits different types of soil. And we like to get in a group and go, what type of soils do you feel like today? Well, I feel kind of like rocky soil. I feel kind of thorny. No, we're not the soil. If we're in Jesus, if we're Jesus follower, we're the farmer. We're called to sow the seed. The seed is God's word. It's not on us. It's not on the farmer. It's on the Holy Spirit who does the work. And Satan, the Bible says, the devil, our enemy, is kind of like these seagulls out here on the boardwalk. Every time the food hits the ground, every time the seed hits the ground, one of those suckers comes around and tries to pick it up before you can get to it. Hold up a Cheeto and see what happens. Don't forget the Holy Spirit in you. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the uh, Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and also at work in the other person. That's why Jeff talked about it last week. Joe will talk about it next week. Prayer is so important. Remember the Holy Spirit. In saying that, also remember this. I'm just a tool. You're a tool. Can you tell the person beside you, you're a tool? Go home and tell your teenage child or friend that. They'll get a kick out of that. We're tools. If someone listens, it's not your glory. And if someone doesn't listen, it's not your fault. If someone listens, it's not for your glory. If someone doesn't listen, it's not for your fault. You're the tool. It's the Holy Spirit at work. It's God who gets the glory. Be prepared, be willing and available, and let God do the rest. Would you bow your heads with me, please? I grew up singing an old hymn. My grandparents sang it all the time. It said, I love to tell the story of unseen things above. Of Jesus in his glory, of Jesus in his love. I love to tell the story because I know it's true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. I love to tell the story. will be my theme and glory. To tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. You may be here this morning and you've kind of understood that God is out there. And maybe you've known, you've had something in your head. But something may have clicked this morning as to why it's so important to have more than a head knowledge, but to have a heart relationship and understand what God has done for us. If that's the case, listen, I'll be in the lobby after service. I'd love to talk to you about that. There will be people up front, uh, prayer partners, you'll hear more about that in a moment, that they would love to talk with you, pray with you, see that relationship go deeper with you in Christ. Maybe you're here today. And as you're hearing these illustrations, something in your head goes, oh, I know someone that would really get through to. I know someone that that would connect with. That's the questions they've been asking. I want to ask that before you leave the building, maybe you have a person or some people in mind who need to hear this message. Maybe that one of these illustrations will become clearer. And I'm going to close in prayer and just ask that all of us have a boldness to just have the conversation. But the video said earlier, just ask the question. Father, I thank you for what you've done for us. And I pray, Lord, sometimes as Christians, we make it more confusing than clear. We miss the fact that for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Father, that's what it boils down to. And I pray that we can be that clear this morning. 
that we can point to you, that we don't scurble it up in, in a bunch of other do's and tries and work for. And Lord, we can recognize what you've done for us because that in a life truly changed. I pray that we're aware of those moments that you provide us. We're aware of those moments where your Holy Spirit is at work. And that we remember to say thank you for all the blessings.